Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Since we did a college football playoff preview last week with Cole Kubelik, the hardest working man in college football media, this week we're going to turn our attention away from the games on the field and look into the transfer portal. Max Olson from The Athletic joins the show to take a look at some of the top players available in the portal and where some of the most sought after talent has already landed. And we'll get into the types of players you find in the portal and how coaches are using it in different ways. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in today. I am on the road uh, in a hotel in South Florida waiting to cover the Orange Bowl. So apologize if the sound isn't as crisp and clear as it usually is when we're at the studio. You can still find this podcast, though, at appodcast.com, where you can find my colleague Rob Body's NFL podcast as well. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please, please, please take a minute to give us a good review and a rating. It helps more college football fans find us and helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week for the podcast, Max Olson from The Athletic. And um, so, you know, again, we've done CFP preview last week. I didn't want to get too much into that today, Max, because, you know, people will be listening to this and the game will be over. So I thought, okay, what's a cool topic we can do? Oh, transfer portal. Max is the transfer portal guy. He he oversees that and and keeps a close eye on it for the athletic. And just so happens he's got a big story today on the 25 top players still in the portal. So, Max, thanks so much for joining me and let's talk portal. Let's do it. Thanks for having me. Before we get on who's in, let's talk about some of the players who have already left we've already passed through quarterbacks obviously get a lot of attention. A lot of the really top quarterbacks have already picked their place. Yep. Um, but I'll throw it to you on this one, two, I don't know, a couple of guys that you think were interesting landing spots that have already sort of, again, swept through the portal and found their home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess you have to probably start with Alabama and, you know, they're doing it again. I mean, they, you know, they, did, did they need uh, Jamison Williams? Turns out that they really needed Jamison Williams, but um, you know, they, they last year, they were able to bring in um, really premium pieces from, from places like Ohio state and Tennessee and, and plug those guys into starting roles and, and, and get a lot of value out of them. And they're doing it again this off season with um, adding Eli Ricks uh, from LSU. And and that was a, a hard fought and, and uh, you know, well won recruiting battle there with a bunch of schools, uh, wanting to get uh, Eli Ricks, one of the you know best young corners in the country on their team. Yeah, they got him Ohio and, State, I think, was in. Yeah, on that well, one. yeah, and USC and all sorts mm-hmm. of folks. Yeah, and and then they were able to get uh, Jameer Gibbs, the uh, who's one of the really the most dynamic all-purpose uh, threats in the country. Uh, played two seasons at Georgia Tech, uh, came in with a ton of hype um, as as kind of one of the foundational recruits for Jeff Collins and their staff and. As a, you know, as a running back receiver and returner has been phenomenal for two years. And, uh, you know, clearly Alabama has had a need at running back this season. That's kind of bared out a little bit. And, and uh, you know, they, so what they, what do they do? They go out and they get the, the best one, you know, arguably the best one on the market here. And so 
Um, you know, big, big for them. And I'm, and I'm guessing they're probably not done either. Um, Michigan just picked up a, a really good commitment this week um, from, you know, Virginia Center. And, and I, I might botch the pronunciation here, but Olu, Olu Watemi, uh, a 35 game starter. Solid performance for, there. Well, by I, I feel okay about that. Yeah. Um, 35 game starter for Virginia. He was uh, one of three finalists for the Remington Award as the best center in the country. And, you know, for Michigan, it's a chance to, to go replace a, you know, a, a departing starter with basically the best center you can possibly get on the market here. So, um, you know, offensive linemen are always at a premium with the portal because it's just so hard to develop really good ones and keep really good ones um, and, and feel like you always have eight, nine, 10, you can play at any time. And so that, that those guys get a lot of options and, and and he certainly was one even Clemson was in the mix for him and you know Clemson never goes after transfers so um that, that was a big time one for Michigan uh a little while earlier you had Kingsley here's another one Suamataia Suamataia all right let's go with that um <laughs> uh, a, a five-star recruit who went to Oregon and decided to leave Oregon at the end of his freshman season and uh he's going home to BYU that that was a huge one for BYU in terms of getting you know, again, one of the, the best young uh, tackle prospects in the country to go there. And uh, and I, another one, Miles Frazier, the, the offensive lineman from FIU, uh, a guy who was a was a redshirt freshman and, um, you know, graded out really, really well this year, played really well for FIU, put his name in the portal. And then all of a sudden he had 25, 30 schools coming after him and uh, he, he chose LSU. So some of those offensive linemen really command a lot of attention here. And, and as you said, certainly – we can talk about the quarterback position where there's been a lot of moves so far that um, definitely make next year uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the one, some of the more notable Keaton Slovis to Pittsburgh, uh, Dylan Gabriel to UCLA, just a couple of, and of course, the one that is maybe the most notable, but also brings the most uncertainty because we actually haven't seen this kid play Quinn Ewers to Texas. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, you know, it, it it feels like a bit of a make or break type of player for Steve Sarkeesian in year two. If this guy is as good as his recruiting hype has been, and he turns out to be a star quarterback for Texas, a really big star quarterback, the type of guy who could end up being, you know, a high draft pick, it changes the trajectory of, of that program and of, of Steve Sarkeesian's short tenure there. So quarterbacks get a lot of attention. Uh, from the fans, the coaches give a lot of attention to the offensive linemen because they they are <laughs> rare rushers and the premium positions. Yeah, yeah because they they are rare to find. Um, so even if you've got any kind of big guy with some athleticism and, and a bit of a track record for being successful, they're going to get a lot of attention. You came up with your top twenty-five players still in the portal, and I think you mentioned we mentioned offensive linemen. You just mentioned pass rushers. I think when people pop open your story and see the player at the top, even me, and I'm familiar with the player's name because we do an FCS All-America team, Mm -hmm. but even I was like, oh, wow, that's a that's a good one. So who's the number one player at the top of your rankings for, you know, players in the portal right now? Uh, and again, folks, it, it's definitely probably it, almost certainly not a name that you recognize. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's Jared Verse. He's a defensive end from uh, Albany. And I don't know. Have you watched much? Did you watch much Albany football this year, Ralph? 
Didn't have a whole lot. And this is the Albany. I, I, I can York. admit I haven't watched Dude, This either. is the upstate New York Albany. This is not the, right. the, the, because the, there's an Albany down in Georgia. And you think, well, maybe it's Georgia. You know, so who, who knows? They got a lot of good football players in Georgia. No, no, no. This kid is playing in upstate New York for the Great Danes. For the Great Danes. And he had, you know, they played a spring season and then they played a fall season. And he was, um, you know, a newcomer at the in, in the spring here this year um, and was able to win CAA Defensive Rookie of the Year in the spring. And then this fall, uh, he got even better and, and earned All-America honors. And if you combine the two seasons he played, he played 15 games. So, you know, about a full FBS season uh, for, for a championship team, obviously. But in his 15 games, 75 tackles, 21 and a half tackles for loss, 14 and a half sacks uh, and two forced fumbles. And so he, you know, you, when you talk with recruiting staffers out there, they say, you know, little surprise he's blown up as much as he he has but it's a position of need he has three years remaining he has length he has production he has kind of that body type that everyone's looking for and so this is a player that went in the portal and didn't really have a, a, a clear expectation of like how many schools were really going to come after him so he went and took visits to Syracuse and Houston and Florida State and Tennessee and then all of a sudden now he's got offers from Florida LSU Miami Oklahoma Texas, USC, Ole Miss, you, you name it. And so um, this is a, a player, he's at the top of the list right now because, uh, like I said, uh, a premium pass rusher, a lot more years to develop, uh, and everybody wants him. And, and you know, hopefully he d- doesn't make a commitment in the middle of this podcast because if it, he does, then then he's off the list and we'll bump somebody else up. But, um, yeah, right now Jared Verse is, is the guy that everyone's kind of competing for. And like I said, because he took those visits, it's, I'm, I'm really interested to see kind of where he goes from here um, because you, 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 these, these players are put an interesting spot here because of the recruiting dead period. And the fact that these coaches after signing day need to get focused on their bowl games and all that, uh, these players can't, these transfers can't go take visits until one week before the semester is going to start in January. And so, or quarter or whatever. And so a lot of these guys are sitting home right now, kind of plotting their moves on, on where they want to go check out. And so January is going to be really interesting for these players that are still available in terms of what visits are you making and how quickly can you make that choice if you're trying to, uh, you know, enroll at that midterm here. Yeah, the verse uh, situation is also interesting because I think it also balances like the different types of uh, players you find in the portal. He is almost like recruiting a high school kid to a certain degree. Right. And now he's had his he had his he had a growth spurt. Uh, you wrote about it. You know, he's 6'4", 247 now, but he's clearly like a late bloomer. And yeah. that's how he ended up at an FCS school. Yeah, like came in at, came in at 205, played yeah. tight end in high school, and they redshirted him. And and he put in the work, and they did a great job of, you know, evaluating the upside there and developing him. Yeah, so with three years left, I think there's probably a lot of uh, coaches who are looking at him and thinking, like, big upside here, yeah. still developing again, almost looking at him as a, as something more like a high school recruit, as opposed to some other players who, who we'll see come up who are more established, more finished product and might only have a couple of years left, but that's also part of the value of the portal, right? It's the kid who has one, maybe two years left might be a, a, a well-established player, but that kid with three years of eligibility left, even though maybe he hasn't proven it as much. So it's it's like it's, yeah everyone's got balance. different needs on that and and look at the 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 potential upside here now with these players it's not just oh plug him in and he's a starter and maybe 
maybe you hope that they can, you know, become an all-conference kind of guy. You saw this year, Ralph, at, at Florida State and Penn State, they were able to sign pass rushers that became All-Americans in just one year. And look, those guys were seniors and, um, you know, very experienced and, and had a lot to prove and all that stuff. But um, certainly everyone's got kind of different needs on that. I think you make a good point. Um, it's not just about, you know, sort of this NFL draft style of thinking of, well, you know, who, who has the most upside here? It's what do you actually, you know, for your team, do you just need a, a senior to plug in and start and, um, you know, help you kind of develop the guys behind them? Or, you know, if you take a guy like Jared Verse, do the other pass rushers on your team say, well, I guess that guy's the one of the has one of the starting jobs locked up for the next year and a half or, you know, two years here. So maybe I got to move on. Like, I think you have to you have to be careful in terms of, uh, you know, actually looking at your depth chart and saying, to, to balance your room out and stuff. What do we need? But sometimes these players are so good that you, you take them and, and you don't really mind who you lose because you did. Yeah. So I think your number two guy is that type of player, right? Yeah. Versus one type of player. I think number two is the type of player. I think number three is another type of player. So number two is Zach Evans, the running back from TCU, who was a monster recruit, you know, had kind of an interesting recruiting tale very interesting yeah you know bouncing from georgia to bat you know to t to t, never signing but then being let out has uh some background in his high school where he like bailed out on a championship game if i remember correctly yep yep um, got sent home from his from a state title game yep so, so again so again he, maybe maybe you could say a little baggage but let's let's move it forward he's a he's he's a couple of years removed from that he had a pretty damn good year at tcu this year and has the potential to be a real bell cow running back. You kind of know what you're getting with this player. Yeah, I think so. I think Zach Evans, um, this year we were able to see signs that he can definitely play to that five-star potential. Um, you know, through his first five games, he put up almost 700 yards and six touchdowns and, you know, really looked like one of the most dynamic, you know, young backs in the country. And then he had a, an issue with turf toe, and that really shut him down for the rest of the year. And that's unfortunate. And, and, you know, that, that always kind of factors into these things too, is kind of where's the player at when they go in the portal, what, what surgeries do they need? How much time are they going to miss? All that kind of stuff. There's, there's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of fact finding you got to do if you're one of these recruiting staffers or coaches that are pursuing these guys. Um, and, and, you know, I think with Zach Evans to, to Gary Patterson's credit and, and, and the, the credit of the TC coaching staff, I think they were able to get him on the right track. And, and I think it's a good thing that he went there. And um, I think they know, too, like that, he that, you know, the, the new Sonny Dykes and his his coaches at TCU, they want to keep Zach Evans. They want to convince him that, hey, this is the right place for you, you know, playing close to home. Um, you know, he's he's getting good grades. He's staying on the right track. He, he certainly has, has proven he can play, um, you know, at, at, at TCU and, and, and be, you know, a really dynamic player in the Big 12. They want to keep him. And so it, it's it, he has an interest, interesting choice to make. We've heard that Ole Miss is kind of considered the front runner right now and that there's a lot of SEC schools um, in, in the mix here. Um, you know, I heard when he first went in the portal, some, some rumors that, oh, maybe Deion Sanders, who's kind of a mentor to Zach Evans, is trying to get him to come to Jackson State. I don't know that I necessarily buy that now, but I, I suppose that's an option too. Uh, he has a really tough choice to make. And, you know, I'm, I'm, if we're being honest, I'm sure that NIL factors into this stuff too. I, to, you know, I think that, that probably, you know, he was able to get some deals at TCU. They didn't really advertise that a whole lot, but I'm, I'm sure a player like him is, is looking at these places and saying, where can I, 
you know, benefit the most and not, not just in your development and, and stats and all that, but then, but then also, um, you know, the spotlight and, and all that. So, uh, you know, <laughs> Zach Evans is, is going to be fascinating. And, um, you know, he, he went through this recruiting process a couple of times before and, you know, so he, I think he knows this is a business decision and you, you got to take this really seriously. Yeah. And the good point you brought up with Evans and it might, I don't know if there was going to be many, who end up in this situation, but it's certainly clear that it, that this is the case with TCU. Some of these guys might end up back at their old schools. Uh, they could. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it happens. And I think, especially when you have a coaching change situation where, you know, I, I, there was a, there was, there have been a couple of these and no, nobody's coming off the top of my head of like, of, of recent like turnarounds, like go in, come back out, decide to stay. But when, I think when you have a new coach like Sonny Dykes, it's simply, you know, the player sort of checking his options, right? I think that's going to be a popular thing. I want to sort of explore my options and to do so legally, you know, uh, 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 with, uh, with the rules on my side, I need to put my name in the portal. But again, if with a new coaching staff, uh, you know, I think these new coaching staffs are going to do the best they can to sort of maybe keep some of these guys. And Evans is one of those guys. I, I guess it wouldn't be shocking if he were to decide, you know what, might as well stay here. New coaching staff has got a a a, a, um, uh, a reputation for great offenses. Uh, SMU just had some really good rushing numbers. Maybe this is a good place for me to be. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think SMU ran for like three fifty on TCU this year. So I mean, it's right. cool to see up close that yeah that that offense can run the ball when you've got the right pieces there. And yeah, you make a good point. I mean, I, I some of these players are you know in the portal because of coaching changes and. That doesn't necessarily mean they're they're going to leave, um, and and I think that maybe we should just get used to that a little bit too. That I, I there's not a lot of harm, I don't think, in in at least putting the name out there and seeing what options you have, and as long as you don't you know burn the bridge you've got in, in the process of, of you know in terms of you know these schools can cut your aid and take take your scholarship and say see ya you know so you you have to handle that delicately. Um, and some players are good enough that they <laughs> they can do that, and some players aren't. But um, right. yeah, I, Zach I think, Evans, they're going to wait around for you a little bit, no doubt. Yeah, they'll do whatever you, you know, whatever you need. So yeah, I, I think that especially with with the way that uh, you know how the the coaching carousel was this year, and and so many um, so many big programs going through changes, I, I think that has, has certainly uh, fed the portal a bit. And and honestly, I think it's also. You look at the a lot of the top players on this list uh, of av- best available players. They've got offers from USC and Florida and LSU. I think these new coaching staffs are also showing up and saying we need to go do a lot of portal shopping here uh, to to try and you know not just make us better in year one, but to, just to get through this transition class. Right, that's a good point as well. It could just be about no- well because almost inevitably even a really high profile coach like Lincoln Riley is going to come to a place like USC. And there are going to be players there who are going to say, a, this guy didn't recruit me. And I'm not necessarily sure if I want, even if I can play, even if I think I can play, he might, that player might look and say, listen, this, I I don't know this guy. And I don't know if I trust him to give me the opportunities that I, you know, that, that I think I should get. So you'll have new coaches will inevitably send players, not, not that the coaches are sending them, but when you have a coaching change, players will inevitably jump into the portal. So then all well, of a sudden some, you get some players are being sent into the portal. I mean, we can be clear about that. Well, there like, is that's, also that's that. where this is going. And and part of it is you, yes. you we, there are some unique challenges with roster management this year where um, you know, players were given this extra year of eligibility, but 
Right. Uh, now these rosters have to get back to 85 next year too. So I know that that, that is putting a strain on um, how these, these coaches are approaching these classes. And part of it is now we've also got this plus seven, you can get seven extra scholarships to replace players you've lost to the portal, which to me seems like a little bit of a short-sighted fix, but again, it, it's going to lead to more processing of your roster to say, well, now there's actually a benefit. If we get rid of this player, we can go get a different player. And so um, Which was the know, fear of, of putting that rule in was exactly that. And you're right. I mean, there are right. There are the Zach Evanses of the world who, Hey, put your name in, but Hey, we're still here for you. If you're interested in coming back. And then, as you said, there are a bunch of other players who are going to be like, you know what? Maybe you should put your name in the portal. Right. It's it, it's just a bottom line. Like, hey, we don't think you can play here, you know, right. or we don't we don't have a spot for you next year right. or something like that. I, and and I, I know that's always been treated as like very sinister. And I think it's becoming like a little bit less sinister. This is just kind of like how it is now. You've seen Mel Tucker and other people come in and say, you know, we're going to have the players here that deserve to be here. You know, and I think I think that we're seeing that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I you know, I, it's certainly where the sport seems to be going right now that that coaches all of this is is to the advantage of the coaches as, as much as, um, you know, one-time transfer exception is, is a great thing for players to have more freedom. Um, you know, as much as coaches gripe about it, they, they have the upper hand in this stuff all the time. It's um, so Max, I had mentioned a couple of weeks back that it is amazing that we gave the players more freedom and it, and it resulted in coaches essentially having more power, more yeah. power in what you said in that they're able to turn over their rosters a little more quickly. And again, ultimately they are making decisions about who plays and who doesn't. So they have that power. The other thing it does, it, the way it empowered coaches is it gave coaches more leverage to say, no, you need to keep me. I, I you need to extend me because look what happens if you get, if I leave, yeah. this roster gets blown up and you're, you're, you're now, you're not looking to just sign a class of 25 you're going to have a massive hole in your roster. So all of the player freedom has, has given coaches more leverage. It's, it's amazing how it totally. I mean, you could point to Oklahoma, which has been as as stable a football program as any over the last decade. And uh, they thought that like the, the sky was falling when Lincoln Riley left. And for that week you had uh, recruits decommitting, you had players going in the portal, some, some very good players going in the portal, some expected, some not. And if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere, right? Like, you know, these guys, they go to play for certain position coaches. They, they go, you know, with a certain understanding of what a place is going to be like when they sign. And, and certainly over four years, as we're seeing in this sport, a lot changes. And so, uh, yeah, you're right. You can make the argument, hey, you, gotta, you can't fire me because, well, A, do you want to pay this big buyout? But B, do you, do you want to... Uh, you know, do you want this roster to fall apart? Um, it's 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 interesting that that could be a pitch now when there's this stuff is still so volatile. But I suppose you're right. That, that's probably something agents should be be saying to the ads now. Yeah, you don't want to let me walk out the door here uh, into another job. I'm taking because, all the players with me. Yeah. What's that roster going to look like? Um, <laughs> and and so you, if you look, I looked at this last night, and I'm I'm not saying these numbers are up to date, uh, you know, today necessarily, but. I think you're seeing an intentional thing going on with these programs that, that have had coaching changes. And some of them happened right before the early signing period. And certainly that, that factors into this whole conversation too, but you look at right now, um, Washington has uh, five signees and, and two transfers committed. Oregon has seven signees and one transfer committed. USC has seven and two TCU nine and one Miami nine and one Florida nine and two 
LSU 13 and one. You could say some of these might be, we we're taking a small class this year. We're trying to manage our 85 and all that. I think a lot of these coaches are taking these jobs are saying, who knows what players could enter the portal. We have to be a little bit careful with our spots here. We don't want to, you, I hear that a lot from people like, well, we're trying to be a little bit selective in who we're taking here. Cause you just don't know who's going to jump in the portal after these bowl games or after the CFP or after spring ball. But I think you have a lot of coaches taking over these jobs and saying, why do I need to rush to sign a bunch of players in February? Maybe we should just load up on transfers and make sure that, uh, you know, the year one is, is not a disaster. Right, right. That's another part of it, too. There's so little patience for success that year one becomes even more important. Very few schools, especially the type of schools that we're talking about, right? The Oregon's, USC's, Miami's, they're not here for rebuilds. Like, you know, we've been rebuilding at USC for way too long. Like Lincoln, yeah. we, get, we paid Lincoln Riley a lot of money. We need to win some games next year. So I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, I think seeing what Mel Tucker did, especially, I'm sure inspired a few to think, wow, maybe we can make this turn around a little quicker. Long term, we know we're going to need to recruit at a high level and bring in top top 10, top 15 classes. But for right now, we're probably not going to have a top 15 class of high school kids simply because of the turnover. So let's do some portal diving this year and then we'll worry about our uh, you know, our, our top 15 type classes, top 10 type classes going forward. Let me just, um, we're not going to hit every player here, okay. but I did want to get to number three because I do think number three is, and maybe even number four, uh, uh, like sort of another type of player that, that you find in the portal these days. And that is this G5 breakout star uh, and yeah. Jacob Cowing, the wide receiver from UTEP, who, you know, I got to admit, like, I mean, UTEP had a really good year, but not until their bowl game that I really sort of like sit down and watch UTEP and, and like, wow, that kid's tremendous. <laughs> this is this is superstar, but two-star player. And it, it also does. So uh, the, the couple of things here that come to mind is a, the fear that group of five coaches have that, Hey, we're going to find these gems. And after one or two years, they're going to leave. Cause that this guy fits that category. And also which I mentioned before is if I'm Jacob Cowing at UTEP, I mean, UTEP isn't quite much of a platform for me to sort of raise my, my name, whether it's for name image likeness or, or my football ability, but either of those two things. But if I can get to a power five program, you know, that puts me in a very different situation, not just for my football development, for, for what I could possibly do off the field. Yeah. I, I think those are, very astute points. Um, Jacob Cowering is an electric playmaker. He's been very, very good and consistent. He's he's led UTEP in receiving in each of his three seasons. He ranked eighth nationally in receiving yards this year um, and had seven catches of 50-plus yards, which was second most nationally. Um, th- this is a big-time player, and, and he's picked up a ton of offers right away, as you would expect. Um, again, this is a short-term fix type player. Well, I guess he's got the extra COVID year. So conceivably he could be two years, but this is probably a player Mm -hmm. who's looking at like, if I, if I really do well this year at a power five program, I'm out. Yeah. And I think he's a player that has shown he can play it. You know, he, he, he deserves a chance to play at the power five level when you're a two-star guy, um, you know, out of Arizona and the in-state schools don't want you and you end up at UTEP. And I think he, he barely even had a profile on 24 seven. Um, you know, like it, it's exciting to go through that recruitment when you didn't really have one in high school. 
And I, I, I do wonder a little bit when you see some of these players, and there's a lot of wide receivers in this top 25 and a lot of wide receivers that have already come off the board. That's definitely a position where you see a lot of competition among these schools um, just because, you know, I think everybody, everybody wants more playmakers. But um, you do wonder a little bit, okay, like an, an LSU or a Florida, are they reaching a little bit by taking, you know, the starting wide receiver of UTEP to, to, and betting on him to be one of their lead guys? I think that's where you probably do have some players that are going to get over-recruited uh, because, oh, well, I mean, did you, did you see that Oregon not, or LSU offered this guy or USC offered this guy? I think we need to, too, you know? So there's, there's going to be like a lot of that um, going on, just like in regular recruiting, really. Um, and so I, and I, you hear that from some staffers like, oh, man, I wanted to get on him right away. And then they offered, and I'm like, oh, this is this is going to blow up. We have no chance now. Um, <laughs> it's interesting how you know. The, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can read this list and, and be like, I've never heard of these guys. But uh, you know, if if you're the right player with the right tape, and, and enough people think that you're good, uh, you're going to blow up and have lots of options, and uh, that's really cool. I I have to acknowledge that yeah, as I worked on this project, and we're going to continue to update this top 25 as more uh, you know more players. Uh, make commitments and more players enter the portal. Um, it's it's hard not to notice there's a lot of all conference level players at the group of five level who are going in the portal and who are getting a lot of offers, getting power five offers. And you, I, I don't want to be chicken little about this, but I think we need to at least like talk about that. Like, you know, great. That's a good thing for those players that uh, were under recruited and, you know, want to go out and prove they can play at the power five level. But man, that, that seems brutal. And that seems to kind of like, it kind of widens the gap. I feel like a little bit between power five and group of five, if there's going to be kind of this trend where the best, you know, the best players in the mountain West and there's, you know, or conference USA, and there's a bunch of them on this list um, are at the end of the year saying, okay, I had a great year time to move up. Well, a couple of things that will happen. And listen, I think a lot of what's going on with the portal right now is a learning experience. I, I do think we need a year or two to sort of have a market correction here. Totally. Um, same with NIL. Same really. with NIL, right? I mean, the NIL even more so is 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 an evolving and is an evolving species right now. It might look completely different two or three years from now, simply because there are no rules attached right now. Yeah, it's all the, this is just the first iteration. of This stuff. It is. I agree. I think this stuff will become more sophisticated over time. One of the things I'm interested about with the what, which gets called, talked about a lot in basketball, these up transfers, right? And we're, we're talking about Conference USA and Mountain West players who are deciding to jump into the portal and, and look for Power Five offers. What I'm interested in is the learning experience over the next couple of years of how well these players make the transition, the hit rates on them. You yeah. know, listen, there, there's going to be guys who are tremendous, and there are going to be guys. I, I can think of a, 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 a lineman, an offensive lineman last year who made that transition. I'm not even going to call him out. Uh, but I know their their school that where he landed was like, mm, yeah, that didn't really work out. Right, right. Because uh, he, he you, you he get him in and then play. you're like, oh, yeah. we can kind of see the difference in the strength program that he was in versus ours and stuff like that. Yeah, it's right. just, you don't totally, especially last year when you, you know, you can't do visits and stuff. You don't really know what you're getting until they show up. So it'll be interesting to see some of the hit rates on that. And as over the next couple of years, as do teams start focusing on that a little more are able to gather a little data and maybe are a little more leery about, okay, we'll take that kid coming up. He should fit fine. And right. how many of these kids coming up? The other part of it from the, from the 
from the player's standpoint, how many of them end up jumping up and becoming the third receiver mm-hmm. and, or, or the, the, you know, the number three outside linebacker. And all of a sudden they're going, well, wait a second. Like this didn't, I, like, yeah, I'm playing at a bigger school, but I'm not playing as much. To- totally. So we've got, I have a, 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 there's a lot of receivers on the, on this list, but there's three in the top 10 and they're all G five guys. There's um, Jacob Cowling from UTEP. There's Kanata Mumpfield, a freshman from Akron who had a really good year this year. And then Isaiah Nair, a, a really good playmaker from Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, let, let's take like LSU. LSU's offered, I think, two of those guys, maybe all three. LSU has three wide receivers in the portal right now. Okay. Three young receivers in the portal. Part of that's coaching transition. Part of that is because they've got, you know, because of competition. And you go there and you don't, you, you think you should be higher up on the depth chart than you are and you move on. So, like, if you're one of these transfer receivers and you go to LSU, you probably only have like a year to like be the guy because they're going to keep recruiting over you. They're going to keep recruiting you know, top 100 players, and they're going to sign some really good receivers at LSU, even, you know, even uh, after this coaching change and stuff. So it's like, you do have to pick your spot a little bit where, yeah, you want to go to the place where you think you can start, but um, you know, you, you, and, and you want to say bet on yourself and all that, but what if you go to a place like USC where, you know, Lincoln Riley is going to get very good receivers at USC. So maybe you're just a one-year guy to them, or maybe you go in and you think you're the guy, but you actually have to compete really hard to get on the field. Yeah, right. Because you can you can find yourself at a bigger program, but if you're not playing, your path to the NFL just made just became a whole lot harder. Correct. Right. Yeah. And, right. And you bet on yourself. And I understand you know competitive kids are going to do that, but that will be a very interesting dynamic. The other guys who I will who show up on here, and we'll we'll finish with this, and maybe I'll let you point to one or two. I can see a couple of them are, and you mentioned the BYU lineman or the lineman, um, uh, the Oregon transfer who landed at BYU. And there's a couple more like that. Is that these kids who are jumping in after maybe their freshman years, but were big time recruits Mm -hmm. and really haven't proven anything yet. But again, sort of have the allure of, oh man, that was a five, that is a five star. He's only two years removed from right. You can't say Quinn Ewers is not a five star. I mean, were his two handoffs at Ohio State, you know, bad enough to make you think he's not a five star? Right. Ewers (laughs) is one of those guys, but give me one or two others on this list who sort of had that like they're still sort of riding their their recruiting bona fides. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I mentioned uh, LSU. Deion Smith is a wide out there who, um, you know, played. This is his true freshman year this year. Um, He played a little bit early on. Um, had a had one big game against Central Michigan that that had even Coach O saying, you know, we think he might be the next Justin Jefferson, but he maybe even a little bit further along than Justin Jefferson was at this point. And then he didn't, you know, he didn't catch many passes after that, dealt with some injuries, all that. He's moving on. That's a top 100 recruit in the 21 class who you would still say, like, yeah, I think anybody uh, would want a shot at him. He's from Mississippi, so I'm sure Ole Miss is is in the mix there in, in, in those schools. Um, interested to see where he goes, but a player that has looked really good. You know, Maryland had an int- interesting duo there, uh, Terrence Lewis and Brandon Jennings. Uh, Terrence Lewis was a five-star recruit who'd been committed to Tennessee, ends up going to Maryland. Brandon Jennings flips from Michigan to Maryland. Um, Lewis missed the whole whole, se- whole year because of injuries. Brandon Jennings actually played, started a few games and uh, and played pretty well and uh, and then chose to go in the portal. And so interested to see, you know, where he ends up and, like, like you said, some of these players, um, you know, 
it, you have to, you got to do your homework and just say, okay, well, why didn't it work there? Why are they moving on so quickly? And, and certainly for those players, because of this one-time transfer rule now, like the, this next place has got to work. You know, you can't just go bounce around from school to school here without sitting out years now. So uh, interested to see how, uh, you know, some of those work out. And I, you know, before we go, I, I am curious, like what you think of this quarterback market too, because a lot of those guys have committed, um, but I feel like we should talk about them. I mean, I think AM taking Max Johnson mm-hmm. from LSU was was very interesting in terms of a statement about what they they make of their room. And they had, they lost Zach Calzada, who's still available. Uh, you know, Chip Kelly taking Dylan Gabriel. Keaton Slovis uh, is going to Pitt to replace Kenny Pickett. Adrian Martinez is 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 got one more year and he's going to play it at Kansas State. I don't know who Nebraska is going to get, but they're in the market. Um, it, w- which of those do you do you find most intriguing? I think well, well, it's hard not to find Adrian Martinez intriguing. Like it's just he for sure. He has a little bit of a you know moth to the to the light bulb aspect to him that you you tend to be drawn to him, especially if you're you know at a team that uh, at a school in Kansas State that has traditionally done well with running quarterbacks, and you see what they've been building there. I think it also will be interesting to a certain degree with Martinez, what I think I'm interested in is what happens to him when he, another coach coaches him. Mm-hmm. Like does his, is his, what, what, what does his development at Kansas state or, or maybe non-development, maybe he's the same player end up saying about what happened at Nebraska. So there's a little bit of a referendum there that may or may not be fair. Uh, the Slovis thing to me, I, I think is super interesting because it, it also sounds like, you know, well, nothing sound like Pitt's going through an offensive coordinator change. Yep. So if you want to be the person who says, oh, well, that makes sense. He's just going to go play in Kenny Pickett's offense and look how well that went. Well, Mark Whipple's gone. He's actually at Nebraska. That's right. Now they, they had a promising coach, I think, behind Whipple. So maybe that offense doesn't doesn't change all that much. Um it also is intriguing to me, just the whole. Oh, and I didn't mention Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. Obviously, that's Rattler. kind of the headliner too. Yeah, and we should mention. Uh, let me, let me, let, I guess, like, got to mention like Spencer Rattler too. I also think it's interesting to see like what the, how the expectations will move for some of these teams when they bring on some of these players, especially like a Rattler at South Carolina. You know, South Carolina, and I, I get why he's going there because he. You know, Shane Beamer was on the staff at Oklahoma and Shane Beamer is clearly a guy who players like to like to play for. Right. He's got Mm -hmm. a great reputation as being a good recruiter and a guy who players like to play for. But like that was a team that kind of smoke and mirrored its way to six wins this year. And the fact that Spencer Rattler is going to go there next year creates an interesting dynamic where like people are going to be like, oh, wow, South Carolina, maybe they're good. I'm like, I don't know if they were good this year. I don't know if that's <laughs> – is that a great place for Spencer Rattler? So there's also a lot of that going on where you sort of sit back and wonder, like, like how does this affect the player? How does this affect the team? How does this affect the player's development? Um, oh, and I think with Rattler and Slovis, you, like I said, you, 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 you have to kind of look at it as the business decision. I mean, Spencer Rattler, you know, thought he was going to be a first round pick this year hmm. and, um, and, and, you know, was one of the highest paid players in college football and all that. I think he and Slovis probably are making this move saying like, I need to have, go have the kind of year that gets me back into first round status here hmm. and, and makes me a millionaire again. And so that's why the decision you make is, is so interesting and so important because, um, you know, I think that th- those guys have to go to the right situations with the right offenses. I'm curious to see what South Carolina 
um, you know, what Beamer and, and Satterfield will do to, to kind of build around Spencer Rattler and make him really comfortable and, and get him his confidence back, you know, after, after getting, you know, benched against Texas and having to watch the rest of Oklahoma season, basically. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that you, you take the good from last year, you take the bad from this year and you have to kind of figure out how do we get him back to where he could be. So uh, I, I think that one is, is really interesting. And, and, you know, do they have enough, enough guys around him, uh, to make it work, I, I guess we'll see. And to go back to what you said about Martinez, I think Adrian Martinez would have benefited from having Deuce Vaughn these past few years. Uh, mm, I think that yeah. makes quite a, quite a difference. And Nebraska hasn't had a guy like that at all. So can, can you know can you go to the situation there where you can stay healthy? Like uh, can can other players kind of take the pressure off you a little bit that you don't have to do absolutely everything for the offense to be successful and for the team to win. The last thing I'll say about this, and I'm interested to get your opinion, is the idea of at this point in college football, you are either starting a, a freshman, maybe a, maybe a redshirt freshman, or you're starting a transfer quarterback. Yeah, that's like right. That, that, and, and if you are a sophomore and you have not won that job yet, you're probably best right. looking elsewhere. Yes. Like, I, I just think that it sounds a little crazy, but this idea of development and no, we're going to take a couple of years, like that's just not happening. If you haven't broken through so, uh, freshman, maybe redshirt freshman slash sophomore year, you're probably not getting that chance. And the other thing that, that, that these moves show me is, oh, you don't think you have a quarterback. If you're taking this guy, that means you don't have one in the pipeline. Correct. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you, you think back to when this was like a little more like, oh, this was this was like a big knock on Oregon, right? When they were taking a bunch of transfer quarterbacks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe this is just how it's going to be. Like people are just shopping all the time and always looking to improve their room. And, you know, you look at some some places where it's worked out, like you, and certainly the very elite examples like Joe Burrow or, or Justin Fields. Sometimes players come around where you'd say, I'm willing to lose everybody in this room to get that guy. You know, I mean, sometimes. They become available, and and so far we'll we'll see who who comes along here in in this cycle. That might be that, but um, no, you're totally right. I, I did. It's hard to say. It, it's hard yeah. to do the. Well, we're we're just bringing him in to compete, right? Right. You can right. say that, and that's that's the case nominally. But the kids who are in that, he, he room, just really wants to get his masters here. That's the yeah, that's the big thing. I mean, you know? if, if you're whatever whatever quarterbacks are in that room in K- Kansas State, South Carolina, Pitt. Who are, who are there right now, like they, they didn't make these moves like that. And you, the other thing is that quarterback did not come across the country. Keaton's yeah. did not move across the country to sit. No, no, but you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, but then, but then that's, that's, that, that can happen. That can yeah, happen. And it, it can. happened it with certainly you can. guys this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I looked at this a couple of years ago around signing day and, and what you said is hundred percent right. Um, you look at the top 50 quarterback recruits and the high percentage of them that leave, they're leaving by the end of year two. And so that's, that, that just, you know, sometimes it's earlier, sometimes they start games within those first two years and still end up leaving. I mean, that, that it's not just that, Oh, you didn't get that shot for two years. So you're, you're piecing out. Um, but it, it is uh, it's, it's very hard right now. It's very hard to like, you, you see Sarkeesian situation in Texas. Um, so you take Quinn Ewers and you sign Malik Murphy out of California and you know when you take Quinn Ewers that you are going to lose at least one of your quarterbacks. You might lose both Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, mm-hmm. but this is the gamble that people want you to make. 
and to help recruiting and because he's the five-star guy he always wanted and all that. So you, you have to sometimes, I mean, and he comes in with, you know, a capital, you know, savior with a capital S here. I mean, that's, that's the expectation for Quinn Ewers. And so, um, you know, in some of these cases, it's the coach also having to bet, all right, this is, this has got to be the guy. And, and if, if I'm going to succeed here, it's because of this guy. Well, Max Olson does a great job of tracking the transfer portal. He's got a story up today on the athletic. Uh, I'll be the pitch man here, even though I don't, I don't work for you guys. The athletics is a good place to, to find some good content. It, it, it doesn't cost that much. So if you need a subscription, you should go get one. I'll endorse that, that for nice. uh, the holidays. Thank you, Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've been accused of being a satellite podcast for the athletic anyway. So by a couple of your co I mean, would that be so bad though? I mean, what, I, again, there are legal, I think issues with that, I but other than, are. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think there are contracts that would have to be sorted out. Um, anyway, right. Max does a great job uh, at the athletic covering college football and his uh, college transfer college football transfer portal. Top 25 hit the, uh, hit the newsstand, so to speak, today. Uh, definitely go go uh, find it and keep up with all the portal news you can there. Max, thanks so much for uh, helping me out today, and hopefully we'll uh, maybe get a chance to run into each other down the road. Hey, always a pleasure. Thank you, Ralph. And now, three and out. First down. I am very tired of COVID seeping into my sports and couldn't be more frustrated with another marred bowl season. But let's face it, the bowl system as we know it seems kind of dead and just hasn't been buried yet. Now, I'm not saying bowls need to go away. I still like bowls, and I think there will always be a spot for bowls in college football. But between opt-outs, the interim coaches, players jumping into the portal. So many of these games are bastardized versions of what the potential matchups could be. An expanded playoff will help because it'll turn a bunch of what are now high-profile bowl games in name only into playoff games. That's a good thing. If Pitt, Michigan State were playing a playoff game, Kenneth Walker and Kenny Pickett would be playing. I still think a lot of the lower-tier bowl games played before Christmas They have value that will hold up. The G5 teams that participate tend to be fired up to play, and the players generally aren't opting out because, well, most of them benefit from an extra game of tape against a quality opponent, not to mention an extra week or so to recover if they do get dinged up before the draft prep starts. It's the tier of bowl games involving the good teams that don't make the playoff basically the back half of the top 25, I'm not really sure what the future for those games is. For example, let's say Penn State, Arkansas. Sounds like a pretty good matchup on paper January 1st in the Outback Bowl until you realize Penn State will be playing without about a half dozen of its best players and Arkansas's best receiver is also out of that game. I know folks have talked about NIL and appearance fees that might stem the tide of opt-outs. I don't know. I'm a little skeptical of that. There is so much riding on players' draft status and stock, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions, literally, in some cases, between getting drafted in the middle of the first round and the middle of the second round. I just don't know if there's any way those games can ever be a big draw again, weighed against the NFL for some of these players. Listen, I think there will always be a lot of bowls. I can't reiterate that enough. 
because despite the opt-outs and the compromised rosters, they are still great TV content for a football-obsessed nation. One last thought on this. Instead of pondering what we want college football's postseason to be, maybe we should start thinking this about this more holistically and start asking the question, what do we want the entire college football season to look like? Maybe then we'll get a better answer on what an evolved postseason should be. Second down, as of this recording, the SEC is 0-4 in bowl games with Mississippi State, Missouri, Auburn, Florida, all losing. Now, there is a damn good chance the SEC is going to have two teams playing for the national title. So I'm not really here for your overrated SEC takes, but here's the deal. I get it. All the bowls are compromised these days, and I'm not sure any of the results mean anything outside of the playoff games. But... If you're the league filled with fans who like to believe that their conference is an unmatched grind, then don't expect anybody to care about your opt-outs and motivation when your schools are getting dragged by UCF and Texas Tech. Third down, a word on an NFL icon. John Madden died this week at age 85, and like most football fans, he was not just a part of the game for me in many ways. He was an integral part of my life as a sports fan. His influence and popularity spanned generations, and I truly believe he helped football become America's game. Rest in peace to a legend. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you get your pods. Please follow so you don't miss an episode. Happy New Year, everyone. And come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.